0: Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number lambda point three seven seven one
1: Also known as 109
0: uh, 109, on, well that's the old numbering scheme It is I'm trying out something new You're here Trying
1: out the new math
0: Well it's not really so much math, it's like a, a hybrid between, you know, public health policy and the Dewey Decimal System It's a, it's a mashup
1: mm-hmm. A mashup that fails in every regard you know, pretty much, pretty okay. much. Well, that does seem timely.
0: <laughs> yeah, just in time to get it under the wire for 2021.
1: Yeah. So here we are. Um, this is uh, perhaps this is going to be our last regularly scheduled live stream of 2021. But we're, we are likely to have one more, just not not on Christmas, not next Saturday, and also not on New Year's.
0: Actually, that reminds me. I should tell them this is our last opportunity to alert you that winter is in fact coming.
1: It is yes. so soon. So soon. So soon. In fact, we're going to end the show today with uh, uh, a, a, few, a few missives, brief missives from Australia where uh, winter is coming, sure, but uh, summer is really uh, coming to be in full swing just about now. And what is it feeling like there um, from, from the, the brains of uh, one of our friends who lives there? Um, We are going to be talking today about a little bit about obesity, as we've talked about before, and uh, its implications for COVID, uh, which we got to by thinking more about children. We were asked in our Q&A last week about um, someone on the school board of his child's school uh was putting together arguments uh against mask mandates uh for school children and you know he had he had the sort of lack of efficacy in children and low uh, lack of efficacy for masks for everyone and uh, low rates of COVID in children uh but what we had said was you know it's just it's so bad it's so bad for them uh, developmentally in terms of what it is that they are and what it is they're learning to be. And uh, I thought I was thinking more about that answer last week and um, thought we'd go a little bit further today. So uh, we're going to talk about obesity, about children, about uh, something you have termed ethical offense, and again, uh, a, a bit from Australia. And first, logistics. Eh?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Eh? Uh, a. Uh Yeah.
1: Okay. Um,
0: logistics number A.
1: Logistics number A, indeed. Um, so we're likely to do a live stream sometime between Christmas and New Year's. But um, there are actually three Dark Horse podcasts that you have recorded uh, with other guests uh, that are that will be dropped somewhere between sometime between now and three weeks from now. They're all uh, I have not seen any of them, but I've heard a tremendous amount about them and talked with some of the guests, and uh, they they look to be extraordinary,
0: mind blowing. Each, I promise.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we aren't going to give anything more away about that, but there will be. This is not this is not a, a dry spell for Dark Horse. Uh, we're just not going to be live streaming on again Christmas or New Year's. Our book, *A Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century*, uh, was uh, we had signed copies available. We went up to the islands, to the San Juan Islands, specifically to Orcas Island, to Darville's Bookshop last week to sign copies and we signed a lot of copies and uh all the copies they had and they had a lot of copies and they're all sold out unfortunately so, i
0: have been having traveler's check flashbacks ever <laughs> since
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um it's it's worse than um the number of signatures you have to do when you when you sign uh, when you sign get a mortgage right um it was it was it was a lot of signatures we we're grateful to do it we're glad to do it um but there aren't any more available at the moment there won't be any more available at least until after after christmas so Um, please do continue to support Darvill's. It's a wonderful independent bookstore, uh, but at the moment you can't get signed copies of Hunter-Gatherer's Guide from them. They do have more books, they're just not signed. They came in after we left.
0: If you find yourself at Darvill's and you need to pee, if you're male, you will discover. I think actually, probably it works for females too. But the uh, the the restroom has maybe one of the most marvelous views of. I mean, most restrooms have no view whatsoever.
1: It's an independent bookstore with one little tiny bathroom. It's not sex segregated.
0: No, no, it's it's really oh, a question you're of your – yeah. If you're standing up, standing still up, when I, you walk in, you do. Yeah, I think you're. Women
1: I, don't like. I don't know what it would be like. Crab walk into the bathroom. Well, the th- the question
0: is, I mean, actually, you're looking up at Mount Constitution, I guess, if you're seated. So it's probably a very nice, a very nice view as well. But I can assure you that in the male typical peeing position, the view is spectacular, and and it's worth a trip to the restroom.
1: <laughs> and worth a trip to the bookstore. Yes, that that as well. Yes. Um, I also wanted to mention um, the translation rights to to Hunter Gatherer's Guide have been sold. There's still lots of offers coming in, lots more that will be sold, but I just wanted to list off the translation rights to our book have already been sold uh, for, uh, I'm just going to say the countries here, Lithuania, Poland, Spain, Romania, South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, Russia, France, and China. Uh, and many more are in the works and we're told that they can take a long time to actually come to fruition although we know that the French publisher is hoping to have its transla- its translation done and available for people as of May of next year so we're hoping that all of these happen fast and that's it, that's exciting and it's a little it's a little weird because in most of those languages we have zero ability to assess to the chat. translation and in none of them do we have an excellent ability because we're just neither of us is fluent in any other language as much as we wish that weren't true
0: I'm actually hoping that- for some of the English-speaking countries that have separate rights, we will be approached to do the audio book and we can try some really over-the-top
1: accents. (laughs) Yes, that would be excellent. Excellent. Uh, Okay, if... uh, Let's see. Oh, well, we're, for now, still on YouTube and on Odyssey. The chat is live on Odyssey. You can ask questions for the Q&A that will follow this episode at www.darkhorseadmissions.com please consider joining our Patreons as always uh, this month. The uh, private Q and a is not on the final, but the penultimate Sunday of the month, which is say tomorrow. So if you join my Patreon before then, you can join us for a live uh, Patreon Q and it's two hours starting at 11 a.m. tomorrow Pacific time. And we'd leave it up afterwards so you can you can always watch it later. But we it's small enough that we're able to actually interact with the chat. And sometimes our friend Fairfax shows up for that as well. And here he is being very lovey on camera for those of you just listening. With oh. The products that are still available at star, store.darkhorsepodcast.org include Saddle Up the Dire Wolves We Ride Tonight, Digital book Burning, The Epic Tabby Himself, and uh, various more. Uh, there are a number more in the works, but none, none will be available before, before the new year. Uh, consider going over to Natural Selections, uh, my substack, uh, where what we talked about last week, I made a list with a little bit more information on those 12 important books and added, added one to the list. Uh, with our friend Drew Schneidler wrote about gifting traditions two weeks ago. And for this upcoming Tuesday, we'll have uh, the complete rendering from our friend in Australia about what he's seeing there. So we're going to finish off today's episode by reading some from that. But on Tuesday, we'll post for for public consumption. You don't have to pay.
0: Are you going to do a follow-up on re-gifting traditions?
1: Uh, You know, the gifting traditions, it's interesting. Um, The gifting gifting traditions that uh, Drew and I wrote about we, we, we wrote about frogs and spiders and such too but um naturally it, naturally um as as one does well as some people do um but the regifting traditions specifically in the kung did it and in iran uh which were the two non-weird uh traditions that we talked about specifically have rules and, and regs basically around regifting and it is in fact uh, for the kind of formal gifting that is done as opposed to that between intimates uh, in at least a few decades ago in Iran, it is not only expected that you will re-gift, uh, but uh, actually you know, not only okay but expected even when it's boxes of pastries. So you just have to do it fast enough that they aren't stale by the time you re-gift them, but there's actually very little expectation that you eat them um, yourself that there's, there's a tradition of just you know passing along it's, it's, the, it's the act of giving as opposed to the gift itself.
0: Well, I was kidding, but that sounds fascinating. It right? is,
1: yes, yeah. There's, I that was, I learned as did Drew a lot about that from one particularly uh, long and interesting paper that appeared. If, if memory serves, was written by a woman who I don't remember which in which order it happened. She either came to be living in Iran and then became a cultural anthropologist and then also married into the culture or it may have been the other direction but either way she had both the you know the personal intimate way in and also the you know the participant observer's eye trained as a social scientist i believe
0: right the i've made every mistake in the book and now i'm going to describe them to you <laughs> yeah. in hilarious detail <laughs> exactly
1: exactly okay without further ado we have three ads this week we are uh, as we have said Repeatedly, very grateful to our sponsors. They have been, uh, they have really helped us know that we can continue this as other sources of funding have become more tenuous. So, uh, we have three this week, and we will continue to have uh, three most weeks for the foreseeable future. Uh, We have Hometics, Four Sigmatic, and Public Goods. So, our first sponsor, excuse me, our first sponsor this week is Hometics, which makes an air purifier that actually lives up to expectations. We've said a lot about the health benefits of being outside, of course, in the fresh air. Scientists have figured out some, but not all, of why being outside is so good for you. But sometimes you can't be outside, and sometimes indoor spaces aren't amenable to being totally cleared out by opening windows. And if, for instance, you've got pets, as we do in your home, there's a good chance you've sometimes got smells that you don't want. Enter Hometics Total Clean Air Purifier. It uses true HEPA filtration and UVC technology, capturing 99.9% of the bacteria, virus, mold, and fungus that were assessed in third-party testing, as well as pollen and smoke. In our experience, it reduces all sorts of pet odors, as well as lingering cooking smells that are wonderful at the time, but maybe you'd rather not wake up the next morning still smelling yesterday's sausages and pasta, for instance. This air purifier cleans large rooms fast and is quite inexpensive compared to similar items on the market. It's compact, easy to carry, and not ugly. It also has both a low setting that is silent and three different light settings, one of which is no lights on even when the filter is running, which is terrific. So there's no unavoidable blue lights on this thing. So whether you're dealing with allergies or just looking to keep your house smelling fresh at times of year when you can't throw open all the doors and windows, go to homeaddix.com darkhorse and use promo code darkhorse, you'll receive a free replacement filter with the purchase of your air purifier, up to a $99 value. Make sure you add the replacement filter to your cart or else the promo code won't work. That's a free replacement filter when you go to H-O-M-E-D-I-C-S dot com slash Dark and use the promo code Dark Our second sponsor for today is Four Sigmatic, which we have come to you with very often. Uh, you are frequent viewers of Dark Horse who will be familiar with the drill by now, but uh, here we go. Four Sigmatic is a wellness company known for its delicious mushroom coffee as well as protein powders that contain mushrooms. That's a little weird. Yep. And delicious. Also true. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee contains organic, fair-trade, single-origin Arabica coffee with both Lion's Mane and Shaga mushrooms. Four Sigmatic's round mushroom coffee with Lion's Mane adds a little something, some Christmas, some focus, I find. It's delicious, just like your favorite coffee, dark and nutty. And the protein powders added to a smoothie or to banana bread, for instance, punch up the protein a little and again give a little something and don't change the taste. Except for, for instance, the peanut butter protein powder, which added to a smoothie with banana, honey, cacao, nibs, peanut butter, and milk or dairy-free alternative increases the peanut buttery flavor, which is a good thing. All Four Sigmatic products are organic, vegan, and gluten-free, and every batch is third-party lab-tested to ensure its purity and safety. And they have a 100% money-back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. So. We have an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee for Dark Horse listeners. Get up to 40% off free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, go to foursigmatic.com/darkhorse. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C.com/darkhorse and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee.
0: All right. Third up is Public Goods, our final sponsor for today. Public Goods was also one of our very first sponsors back in May of 2020, and we are still as pleased with them now as we were at the beginning. Public Goods can simplify your life as a one-stop shop for everyday essentials. Their ingredients are carefully sourced, high quality, and affordable. Public Goods has ramen and mustard, deodorant and dental floss, shampoo, coffee, and a French press to make your coffee in. They've got grain-free granola and curry paste, flatware, and towels. There is so much at Public Goods to make a meal, including the materials to serve it on. Public Goods products have a great design, too. The aesthetic is simple and clean, and there are no garish colors. I don't want the products that I use to draw attention to themselves, and Public Goods products fit the bill. Public Goods cares about health and sustainability. Their products are largely free of harmful ingredients and additives, and the ingredients are ethically sourced. They they also plant one tree for every order placed. Finally, Their subscription service is efficient and simple and easy to use. Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place. It really is an everything store. For Dark Horse listeners, we have the following offer. Receive $15 off your first Public Goods order with no minimum purchase. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are going to give you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Go to publicgoods.com slash darkhorse. Use the code darkhorse at checkout. Or use the code DarkHorse at checkout. That is public goods, P-U-B-L-I-C, G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Darkhorse to receive $15 off your first order.
1: All right. That's our sponsors for the week. One more thing I just wanted to follow up on from last week, uh, before we get into the meat of the show, is that another question out of the Discord, I think, from last week that we answered in our QA was effectively, how do you source and um and assess the supplements because we have we have said uh, that neither of us is a fan of supplements. We have never we have never taken supplements before. But in this era, uh, we have come to understand a uh, how how common vitamin D deficiency is, and also uh, how useful vitamin C, zinc, and some ionophore like quercetin are in in keeping you healthy, especially when there are when it's when it's respiratory virus season, uh, as winter seems to be. Uh, including not just COVID, but uh, things like other coronaviruses like colds and flus. Um, other coronaviruses like colds and also the flu. Um, not, I did invisible punctuation there. <laughs> um, so a number of people wrote in because I, I talked a little bit about what we had done, but um, said that we didn't have a, a great answer for figuring out how to assess supplements. And a number of people wrote in suggesting uh, consumerlab.com. And I went and looked and, uh, well, in in fact, uh, one of my patrons, Katie, said, um, I've used consumerlab.com for a number of years. They're not perfect, but they do some testing for things like lead and whether the supplement actually has the amount that they claim to have. Um, The research, they show the research, both good and bad for each supplement and the form that it takes. And this is something I mentioned, the molecular form that may or may not be for instance bioavailable. And And she says you have to subscribe, but they have a cost breakdown for different brands, and which is cheapest. Uh, So it sounds kind of like a Consumer Reports, but specifically for for supplements and other related things. And I went there. I assessed it a little bit. I actually subscribed. I assessed it some more, and I find that it is as good as people are recommending. So that's uh, consumerlab.com, which... um, which seems to be if, if you can afford a subscription or even just do it for one month and uh, figure out everything you want to know about where to source supplements, uh, which supplements are the right things to do. So the that idea seems, is seems the that. lab yeah.
0: generally surveys supplements. It's not that you're sending them something to check.
1: No. They, you do not send them things. They're not, they're not an in-house. Um, that, they don't That do it that way. Uh, you look at what they have already assessed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but it really is um, It's quite exhaustive. It's, it's, it's quite exhaustive uh, and, and quite good. Okay. Um, so all of that out of the way, I wanted, to t- I wanted to return first to talking a little bit about the comorbidity for COVID and the general uh, um, sort of life comorbidity, if you will. And I'm not sure that's, that's how uh, doctors or clinicians or researchers would say it, but that is obesity. We've talked about this a lot before. In fact, I uh, found that we talked about it first in our live stream number nine,
0: you mean it's a comorbidity across many different things, not just COVID. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a risk factor uh, for early death and other bad health outcomes in general. And with regard to COVID, we were talking about this as early as, like I said, April 21st, 2020 in our, in our ninth live stream, I went back and and looked assuming that my, my notes are complete. Um, I, I think we didn't talk about it before then, but we definitely talked about it then. Um, so I just, before we talk about some of what is going on with children, I wanted to review some of what we know about obesity, uh, in, uh, with regard specifically to COVID and in live stream number 69 on February 27th of this year, uh, we showed, oh, it's just showing me the wrong paper here. Um, actually Zach, you can show this Table briefly, and then maybe I'll just pull it back. Um, Actually, apologies. Here's the paper. It's O'Hearn et al., uh, 2021, called Coronavirus Disease 2019 Hospitalizations Attributable to Cardiometabolic Conditions in the United States A Comparative Risk Assessment Analysis. If I may have my screen back here, I think I made some. Here we go. Just a couple of there. We're not going to go through the paper in depth. Again, we talked about this in episode 69. Um, they find, and you may show my screen here if you like, Zach, in the abst- from the abstract. As of November, and this is published a while ago, so this is not up to date. Um, but we see nothing to suggest that what they found has been um, overturned. As of November 18th, 2020, an estimated 906, 849 COVID-19 hospitalizations occurred in U.S. adults. Of these, an estimated 20.5% with 95% uncertain, you know, I'm not going to focus on the numbers here. An estimated 20.5% of COVID-19 hospitalizations were attributable to diabetes mellitus, 30.2% to total obesity, uh, with that is to say a body mass index over 30 kilograms per meter squared. Meter squared. Um, I'm pausing because does that make sense?
0: Um, Meter squared. I'm square? going to have to go back and look at how BMI is calculated.
1: It seems to me that it's kilogram b- over.
0: There is a f- relationship between height? height. Yes, But meters squared sounds like an area. Right. I don't think that's what they mean. I okay. think the formula includes <laughs> of the person's before. height squared somehow. But yeah.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> um. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna skip this. I'm gonna. Go <laughs> There's just a lot of numbers in there that are not, at the moment, um, making Im- immediate sense. What are the clinical implications of what they have found? Having found, th- found the top risks, again, were obesity, hypertension, and diabetes. They say clinicians should educate their patients who may be at risk and consider promoting preventative lifestyle measures, such as improved dietary quality and physical activity to improve overall cardiometabolic health and potentially minimize the risk for coronavirus disease 2019 severity. Sounds like a good idea, does it not? Um, And finally, there's one more thing from this paper. In the most recent CDC um, analysis of available national data among individuals diagnosed with COVID-19, a 35-year-old with diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, obesity, or other chronic conditions had a similar risk of COVID-19-related hospitalization as a 75-year-old with none of these conditions and a similar risk of COVID-19-related death as a 65-year-old with none, a dramatic biologic aging effect of poor metabolic health on risk of severity of a viral infection such as COVID-19. So again, a 35-year-old with one of these prime comorbidities um, is in worse shape Or as similar shape with regard to COVID risk as a 75 year old with none of those risks. It's amazing. Which is is an extraordinary finding. So thank you, Zach. Given
0: Um, given the steep aging curve of this disease.
1: Yeah, because age is a. Right, it goes it goes
0: from a trivial disease for yeah. very young, healthy people to a spectacularly dangerous disease. Well, spectacularly dangerous, a very dangerous disease yeah. uh, to elderly in elderly people.
1: Exactly, and the fact that that um, you know, of course, of course, it's not that simple, but uh, the amount to which, to some degree, especially if you are currently healthy, staying healthy is relatively easy, and if you have one of these conditions in so far as you can, in as much as possible, taking control of your own health and getting your weight down, getting your hypertension under control to some degree, um, can actually affect outcomes across, across domains. And so we have also talked about However, the fact that the clinical uh, suggestions here—that health officials and doctors advise patients to, you know, to lose weight and to to address the health conditions that they can actually control, as opposed to as opposed to simply relying on external sources of health, which is what the the, the single-minded uh, public policy on dealing with COVID seems to be—basically um, isn't happening. Now we did talk in. Um, a couple of live streams ago in 107, I guess, about some uh, health advice that's coming out of Florida now, in which they're actually saying, go outside, get active, eat healthy, you know, move your body, and it sounds great, but it's literally the only one that I've found. I'm certainly not hearing anything like this at the federal level. And what we have seen is, and I'm going to just revisit, since this is, again, from our ninth live stream, a piece that we saw in Wired, and then one from the LA Times more recently, uh, that you know, what is the mainstream media doing with this kind of actual research results around comorbidities and COVID and how you can reduce your risk. Well, in um, April 17th, 2020, Wired published a piece called COVID-19 does not discriminate by body weight. The claim that those with higher BMIs are at special risk of dying from the coronavirus is grossly overstated. Uh, And here very quickly just Zach show my screen uh to to demonstrate that this is this is in fact what the article uh what the article looks like. One of the things they said is obesity appears to be one of the biggest risk factors related to COVID-19 hospitalizations and critical illness. Newsweek claimed on Tuesday. Yet this rhetoric is based on flawed and limited evidence, which only exacerbates the stigma that larger bodied people already face in society and our healthcare system. The stigma is what truly jeopardizes their health, not weight itself, Wow! a fact that's only more important to consider in the midst of this pandemic.
0: The stigma is what jeopardizes their health.
1: And the article ends with this gem. Instead of trumpeting the supposed risks of high BMI and adding to the already damaging impact of weight stigma, researchers need to be asking deeper questions, and public health officials and journalists need to report on the science in more nuanced and sensitive ways. As of today, December eighteenth, twenty twenty-one, there was neither a correction or a retraction anywhere associated with that article from Wired, which is from April twenty twenty, at follow, which point we already knew that obesity was a comorbidity, and we still know that.
0: Follow the sensitive science.
1: Follow the sensitive people and their feelings. There you go.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating, and I must say I do think that uh, you know, BMI is a proxy for something, and, and it's it is flawed. it's deeply flawed. Yep. But. It, you know, all else being equal, does BMI correlate with risk for COVID? It clearly does. It clearly does. Um, and so the question is okay, you could add nuance to this, right? And for one thing, BMI is such a crude measure in its formulation that you really don't know very much about, you know, whether someone is overweight or how overweight they are based on the simple measure because there are body shape differences and obviously you know somebody can have an awful lot of uh you know muscle mass there's a level at which that can become a a hazard in and of itself but basically there's a lot of variation that isn't captured in this one measure but it's a you know it's a decent proxy and it's in to the you know all of the sorts of measures that we take Uh, erase a certain amount of nuance in order to discover a pattern. And the point is, yes, you can also study the pieces of nuance and you get a diminishing returns pattern where, you know, BMI may explain the lion's share of the pattern and then you can recover other things from uh, from different factors. But But the
1: idea that a high BMI can reverse the risk stratification for age in COVID-19, that's incredible.
0: It's a clear, it's a clear pattern, right? And the point is, it doesn't mean that an individual's BMI tells you anything because the individual could be a bodybuilder or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, um, but nonetheless, the pattern is there and to deny it on the basis um, that, you know, it causes stigma, which is the health concern is obviously upside down and backwards. Right.
1: And frankly, most individuals know this, you know, if, if you're huffing and puffing after climbing one set of stairs somewhat slowly, uh, you're probably not in very good health. I mean, in fact, I don't know why I'm hedging with probably. I don't I don't know the situation in which if you're if you're short of breath after climbing one flight of stairs, I do not know the situation in which you are in peak health. Uh, it could be that you just have something temporary. It could be that uh, you climb the stairs too soon after having run five miles right? well, <laughs> and that you're not back at baseline. But, uh, you know, you, we, we know this. And, yes, there are people who have, you know, who, who weigh more than what the standard suggests they should who are healthy. Of course there are. Um, but that is not uh, – there is so much evidence. There is so much evidence that obesity is a risk factor across many Many health conditions, and specifically for COVID.
0: Well, I want to push back there because I don't know what it's like to be 90. It's possible that a healthy 90 year old mm. might be huffing and puffing after a single flight of stairs. I, I just don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I won't say, you know, it's there's no case. But yeah. the point is, you know, if you're 40, 50, a single flight of stairs shouldn't throw you like that. And to the extent that it does, that's nature's way of telling you you need to build more capacity. Right. Um, so. Anyway, it's a minor pushback, but
1: yeah, no, I, I, I hear that. Um, let me, there's just another, there, there are a lot of these, but there's another amazing piece on obesity and COVID from the LA times, which was published this year. Not that recently, May 9th, 2021. Uh, it's called fat shaming BMI and alienation. COVID-19 brought new stigma to larger, larger sized people, no large sized people. Uh, so you can, I'm going to read just the first short six paragraphs of this. And I, I do not know how to pronounce the names here. Uh, Crystal Bogon cried after the, after the needle went into her arm, not because her first dose of the Moderna vaccine hurt, but because finally being fat actually paid off. The 53-year-old was inoculated in the parking lot of Kaiser Permanente in San Jose on a rainy Friday in March, four days after eligibility in California was broadened to include people with underlying conditions, among them a body mass index of 40 or more. 233 pounds for an adult who is five feet, four inches tall. Bogan's medical record at Kaiser shows she is morbidly obese. As an activist, she prefers the word fat. Her experience with medical providers has been one incident of size stigma after another, she said, like the time she went in with a scratched cornea and was told to lose weight. She fears being hospitalized with COVID-19 and unable to advocate for herself. For that reason, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to feel guilty about being vaccinated. I'm going to do it, she said, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I've been in fear the whole flipping time, staying home, avoiding everybody, I couldn't do my job, I'm an electrologist, I removed facial hair, I couldn't come to work, I couldn't make money. That, however, is changing, thanks to a vial of vaccine, a very sharp needle, and a policy switch that allowed women and men like Bogon a chance to be inoculated before the general public in California about a month early. It's not every day that we get something for free because we're fat, said Bogon, who launched a YouTube channel called Fat Product Review. We'll stop there for now. Um, you know, oh, go, 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 go for it.
0: Well, I just I just wanted to say a couple of things. I mean, yeah. this this story is layer upon layer of betrayal. Yes, right. The idea that we are going to at this stage now champion obes- obesity. And portray this as the point at which it pays off is obviously absurd, but let's just say civilization has failed this person, right? The epidemic of obesity is not about people not caring. People don't choose to be obese, right? They can't control something, and the thing that they can't control is obviously in the realm of what we talk about in our book – Hypernovelty, mm-hmm. right? This is not a genetic defect. This is something about our ancient selves encountering a modern world in which there are there is a factor, or there are a number of factors that combine to cause that system to get out of whack. And we ought to be, if you know, I mean, this is uh, increasingly um, glaring. But we have public health officials that are apparently willing to turn civilization absolutely upside down and to withdraw all sorts of fundamental rights in order to advance a one-size-fits-all policy that is clearly not based in science. Mm -hmm. And yet, there is no interest whatsoever. They're obsessed with our health as long as the topic is this narrow focus and the solution in question is the only one that they allow us to discuss – right? They're obsessed with our health in that case. but and, they're, gives
1: a, and provides no agency for us.
0: No agency. In fact, the point is actually there are things you can do to protect yourself from COVID and they're specifically not advising them, right? Mm-hmm. They're not advising us to take vitamin D. They're not advising people, hey, this would be a great moment. In fact, you know what there is at the moment with respect to getting your weight under control? Extra reason to motivate, right? There's a mm-hmm. disease out there and it will afflict you worse. So, hey, if you needed a little extra push in that direction, here it is. Are they saying that? No, they're saying, you know, embrace your high BMI, right? That yep. makes no sense. And, and-, and
1: some people are saying talking about high BMI being a risk factor is itself a form of fat shaming and that it's not the high BMI, it's the stigma that's making people sick. And n- no, no, it's, it's not. And again, as you say, that's not to say that there isn't stigma. And that's not to say that, you know, especially, especially for people um, who became fat as children, there are there are in many cases developmental processes which cannot be undone, such that people will be you know chronically struggling to get their weight under control, and it really is not um, easy for them to the extent that it's easy for anyone who gains ten or twenty pounds to lose it. It's not the same problem. It right. is not the same problem. This isn't a simple thing. Just like BMI is a flawed and overly simplistic rubric, it's not you know calories in calories spent it's not that simple an equation that actually doesn't work it depends on you know what it is that you're eating under what conditions what else you're doing with your life and also what your history looks like and you cannot change that what's done is done
0: right and of course you know we are creating the problem you know one of the the puzzles that we run into with all sorts of things whether it's uh the Need for glasses, the need for orthodontia, or uh, you know, a lifelong battle with with obesity. All of these things are the result of some influence, right? Yeah. An influence that even if we can't help people who are already afflicted, we can prevent it from afflicting anybody else, right? If you figure out why it is that kids suddenly need orthodontia, and you stop doing that thing to them, exactly. then you don't need any more orthodontia for younger people, and you just have to deal with the people who already have the issue. And the point is, were these people at all interested in our health? They would be focused on years of life that people are being robbed of by conditions. They would be focused on quality of life being lost. And there would be some sort of rational formula that says, we should prioritize this thing because it is robbing people of the most quality or uh, years of life.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we're obviously not doing that. You know, in fact, even the way we calculate the harm of COVID is absurd, Mm. right? Because the point is the damage done to young people is vastly more important than damage done to the very old just by virtue of the number of years of theirs that you compromise. And so the idea that, you know, vaccines good is nonsense, right? Because the point is who you're giving them to and how much they stand to benefit versus lose is not the same parameter. And yet we pretend that it is so that we can get one number. And mm-hmm. um, at some level, I think we have to call their bluff. They're obviously not interested in our health. I don't know why they are interested in what they're interested in. It could be that it's money. It could be that it's something else. But for God's sake, it's clear that their obsession, their um, the appearance that they are obsessed with our well-being relative to COVID is not uh, real because if it was they'd be obsessed with our health and other topics too and they clearly aren't
1: they clearly are not um, one more one more quote from this Los Angeles Times article from May of this year in other words <clears throat> in other words said Reagan Chastain who is the author of Fat The Owner's Manual and has written widely on weight bias and medical research quote if fat bodies experience something more than thin bodies fat bodies are to blame rather than the unequal treatment fat people receive due to weight stigma so, she, I actually don't know um, that person. Reagan Chastain, um is saying this is a mistake that um, pointing out that um, being fat is correlated with outcomes is a mistake, and that is again due to stigma. So, it just it just goes it just goes on and on and on. Um, but all of that is in service of talking about children, because as it turns out. Maybe even more so in children, although it is difficult to parse the data that we are being shown because we are not generally being shown all of it, as always. The data are juked all the way down at <laughs> some level. Um, even more so for children, to the extent that children suffer from COVID, and the vast, vast, vast majority of them do not, to the extent that they do, they almost always have a comorbidity, and obesity is, uh, is one of the major ones for children as well. So let me... Um, yeah, children don't die of COVID, and they don't get sick from COVID. Here is um, the CDC's data. Uh, I, I, I'm trying here to go to the government, the government's information, the CDC, the FDA—exactly the people you would expect. If they are not giving us everything, they are going to err in the direction that serves their narrative yes. as even to by them. their own numbers, even by their own numbers. What we have here is um, is deaths. This is through 12-15-2021, uh, so it's updated regularly, starting with January 1st, 2020. Each line is um, a, it's split by sex, uh, and age, total deaths in that age group for this period of time, and deaths attributed to COVID. I will say, you know, they say COVID-19 deaths. I'm going to say deaths attributed to COVID, because increasingly that's one of the ways that we... Are sure that the data are being joked, for instance. and
0: it's, it's one of the places that the literal bodies are figuratively buried <laughs> is by categorizing things, And it's clear, you and I have been through this multiple times, it is clear that there is a narrative that starts this, right? Mm -hmm. COVID Mm -hmm. is to be maximally terrifying, and the one-size-fits-all vaccine policy is to be maximally beneficial, and things are moved by category in order to reflect that narrative, even though it's clearly not a straightforward conclusion.
1: Exactly. So for those just listening, I'm going to, I'm going to scroll down. I'm going to try to, no, it doesn't want me to, um, and, uh, and show that as you get to, you know, as as you go up in age, again, this is just, this is just girls coming into women. Uh, the number of deaths in the age group increase because deaths increase. Um, you know, you have a lot of deaths in the first year of life because, uh, we are, we are born fragile and we become, anti-fragile uh with age if we are allowed to be um but we are born very fragile and uh, fragile
0: and easy to misplace
1: <laughs> we never did that i swear to god um that's what screaming's about
0: yes that is what screaming yeah. that's how it starts out
1: yeah um so the you know the overall deaths in the group unfortunately you can't well actually um here sorry uh i can't oh, nope don't show that zach sorry here we go um yeah you can show this uh and oh actually you can't really so you're seeing i didn't have time to do all the right stuff here um this is this is just the same data in a spreadsheet uh where you can see that i didn't i didn't make the formatting nice uh the number of deaths increases as you go up and the number of COVID deaths increases up until um you know the number of deaths in women over 85 was is well over a million uh, total deaths, and the number of COVID deaths attributed to COVID are over 100,000. That's consistent with the kinds of numbers we've seen. And now we start over. This is this is now males, and again it starts out super low, and it just climbs and climbs and climbs. And if we look at just the 18 and under mortality data, we have a total number of deaths attributed to COVID in um, People under 18 in the U.S. is 655 across the entire pandemic, 655 deaths in the U.S. for people under 18. And if you take out that first year uh, where you're super fragile and even more so who knows to what extent those um, dead with COVID was actually dead of COVID, if you take those out, you're less than 500, you're at 492 total COVID deaths according to the CDC's numbers uh, in the U.S. across the entire pandemic. So what does that tell us? Um, that tells us, again, um, that children aren't dying of COVID and that furthermore... Oh, well,
0: you, you got to be careful. I mean, obviously 500 is a lot of kids. It's a tiny
1: number. It's a tiny number compared to all of the kids who have died. And uh, and the fact is that compared to every older age group um, yes. is a tiny number. Um, so, yes, it's not binary it's not zero yep but it's actually closer than any other demographic description of a disease progression that i as i've seen
0: well i would also leave open the possibility that it is zero given the noise but i just want to say 500 if that's the real number Mm -hmm. right it's not zero it's a large number of kids in absolute terms but compared to other causes of death it is very tiny and i think i know where you're headed here you were not headed somewhere further.
1: I'm I'm going somewhere further, but I yep. didn't think you were done with your sentence. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it was one of those sentences that just ended abruptly in I the see. middle. There was a, a sentence cliff and... I
1: see. Okay. Um, well, oh, man, nothing is working quite. So one of the places I wanted to go from here is to show this FDA document that came out in October, uh, October 26, 2021. Called Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee Meeting. This was a document prepared again by the FDA uh, in service of allowing mRNA COVID vaccines in 5 to 11 year olds. So, again, the point of this document is to um, provide evidence that what we need are EUAs for 5 to 11, for the vaccines to be allowed in 5 to 11 year olds, which, of course, as we know, were granted. So, again, just like with the CDC data, um, I'm going to the source that I would expect to have um, to, be, to be biased towards the narrative not away from the narrative and yet and yet even here we find things that don't quite fit uh with the narrative here's here's their page four and i will this is a pdf that i'm showing but i'll i'll link i'll post the link in the show notes um this is covid weekly cases in um across all age groups uh And it looks, it looks scary. You know, look at those peaks, the peaks for all age groups. You have the light blue line um, is lowest. That's zero to four year year olds. And it basically gets, the peaks get higher the older the age groups are. Um, But the peaks are mirroring one another to some degree. Okay. Um, That seems like um, evidence that you might want to be thinking about, but then you go to page 11 in this document. And what this is doing for those just listening is tracking flu deaths, or no, flu hospitalizations and COVID hospitalizations, uh, flu from 2017 um, yearly, from the 2017-2018 year, flu season 2018-2019, 2019-20, 2020-21, and then COVID from the beginning, or actually from October 2020 uh, through September 2021. So a, a comparable amount of time. They've they've um, controlled for the amount of time-ish. And what we find here is that, you know, yes, mitigation uh, measures have been in place. And so you would expect, hopefully, COVID was spreading less than it might have been, and that flu was spreading less than it might have been. Um, but check out that flu cases are effectively zero. There are nine pediatric influenza hospitalizations reported between in the 2020 to 2021 uh, flu season, nine, compared to um, in other years um, you know, we don't actually have the absolute numbers. We just have rates per 100,000 of the population. The rates are so low from last year that it's effectively zero, as you can see on this. On this. And, and they, of course, have not given us the actual ability to compare apples to apples here. And the COVID uh, hospitalizations are lower than pediatric hospitalizations from flu in previous years. Again, there were mitigation measures in, in place. Um, and, but you know, but... Still, what happened was flu dropped to nothing, so none of, none of those hospitalizations happened, and we know that at least in some cases, some of the tests that were supposedly testing for COVID were impossible to discriminate between whether or not they were testing for COVID or flu. So how many of these COVID cases were actually flu cases? We don't, we don't necessarily know.
0: We don't know. I mean, and I will say the um, flu number dropping to zero could be a lot of different things it could have a lot of different contributors and we need to point out that one possibility is data shenanigans Uh that uh, basically if it coughs it has COVID Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, more likely, I would say, is the strong possibility that flu has become very well adapted to our modern way of life, and we thoroughly disrupted our modern way of life and interrupted its ability to transmit. So, flu had a rotten year because we just simply weren't behaving normally. Poor flu. Yeah, poor flu. But, yeah. um, but anyway, the the overarching point is, from the perspective of addressing. The hazard to children, that hazard has to be scaled relative to flu in an average year. And the question is, are these vaccines something that one should offer to children, should mandate for children, encourage for children in light of the scale of the hazard? And... um. The problem is that, you know, they've gotten in the way of every piece of the analysis that rational, independent people without a dog in the fight would have to go through in order to figure out what the comparison is. But at the very least, even if we knew nothing of actual harm coming to children from these vaccines, which is not the state we're in, but even if that was the state, you would have to rate the risk that there was something that would happen to these Children, if vaccinated later in life, as too large to contemplate in light of the very small risk that comes from COVID itself, even given the the way that numbers are calculated to inflate that hazard.
1: I absolutely agree. And two more slides from this uh, document that the FDA produced. Here we have children aged five to 11 years hospitalized with COVID 19. Uh, This is March 2020 through August 2021. And what we don't see here is, um, this is outcomes in children versus comorbidities, that's underlying medical conditions. Um, But what we don't see is a number of, you know, how many kids who ended up hospitalized with COVID um, had any comorbidities. That's the number I wanna see. And I don't see it here, but what we do see is how many kids who were hospitalized had greater than one. Oh no, that's equal to or greater than one underlying conditions. Um, that's 68%. So more than two-thirds of the kids who were hospitalized with COVID have um, one or more underlying conditions. And their underlying conditions, frankly, uh, include chronic lung disease, obesity, cardiovascular disease, Um, And, you know, things like feeding tube dependence um, and chronic metabolic disease, but these don't include all of the comorbidities that we know exist for COVID. Uh, And also, of course, you know, none of this includes one of the factors that we have now come to understand um, from our own research and from conversations we've had um, that vitamin D deficiency is likely to be, you know, if you add that in here, I'll bet that number 68% of kids hospitalized with COVID have at least one underlying condition. If you count vitamin D deficiency as an underlying condition I'll bet that number goes pretty close to one probably. right
0: and and if you were I mean we don't know it's possible that the extremely compelling vitamin D data does not include kids because in all likelihood that work was done on adults mm-hmm. and so that we and have kids to, are
1: better able to synthesize vitamin D
0: right um, so we have to leave open the formal possibility that sure. that the the pattern the small amount of covid in uh, or the small amount of COVID, COVID disease that is worth talking about is not heavily impacted by D and kids. There's no reason to think that. The assumption should be in the other direction, that kids more or less mirror the adult pattern. But we have to leave open the possibility. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, from the point of view of would you rather gamble on giving a young person with many more decades of life in front of them and much more development to go through a brand new technology vaccine that, oh, by the way, doesn't prevent contracting the disease and doesn't prevent transmitting the disease and doesn't seem to reduce viral load, but is really great other than that, right? Which
1: And you may well become dependent on more of it.
0: On more of it, right. So mm-hmm. the number of boosters in a lifetime you might have to get is uh, likely to be higher. Would you rather go that route with all of the uncertainties involved in all of that, mm-hmm. Or would you rather try vitamin D and see whether the very minor problem that kids seem to have with COVID can be largely addressed because they have a cryptic vitamin D deficiency like everybody else? Yes. Or like everybody else living in the temperate zones.
1: And I mean, of course, we should say as we, you know, this is a point that we were hammering early on in, in our Dark Horse live streams, uh, that we don't know the long term effects of COVID. Uh, we don't know the degree to which children who have long haul COVID uh, will, in fact, you know, may have shortened life, may have you know, worse outcomes from long COVID because it has the potential to last for longer because they have a longer lifespan ahead of them, et cetera. We have we have no information on this, just as we don't on on anyone, because this thing has been around for a long time at this point, but it's still only only two years, right? Um, but th- but that said, all of the information that we do have suggests that, you know, yes, obesity is a risk factor across all age groups. And children are at lowest risk for bad outcomes from the disease. And they are um, at the same or, in fact, higher risk for bad outcomes, adverse events from the vaccines, especially boys, as we've outlined in other places on on the show. And so, you know, what, why is it um, that we are being asked to Enable a one-size-fits-all policy. It's not because we're too dumb to track it. That may be part of the story, and you hear that from people. People are too stupid to to keep track, and so you just need to give them one solution, and that's what they'll do. Uh, you know, we all get into that headspace sometimes. My God, I don't want to make another decision. I just want to have brand loyalty, decision loyalty, something. I want to just vote blue. I want to buy that kind of toothpaste. I want to go to that restaurant and order that thing. I just want to not think about. You know, I've got I've got choice fatigue. That is gaming the fatigue that we all experience rather than actually uh, an organic situation. People do not want to be handed single answers that don't actually fit all solutions and are being told that they fit all solutions, especially at the point that they come to realize they've been lied to and that those lies have effects. They have effects on individual health, on societal health, on economic health, on all the healths.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, it doesn't make any sense that this is about we can't handle the complexity. For one thing, um, much of the vaccine hesitancy surrounds a lot of us having seen the complexity and saying, actually, there's – too much uncertainty here to contemplate this, and the you know the longer that we wait and the more we learn, the more frightening the picture that emerges from what is apparently already known becomes so I would point out in, in thinking about this question you're comparing it against a lot of unknowns with respect to how much hazard there is to kids in these brand new novel vaccines. that would be true if there had been no observation of harm whatsoever, but we are not in that circumstance in fact. Even in Pfizer's trial on kids, which was tiny, it was like 1,200 kids, mm-hmm. there was an absolutely serious adverse event with permanent effects. The Maddie Degary case, I think that's how you pronounce her name. It may, may be DeGuerre, but in any case, this was a girl, really a hero of the pandemic, somebody who volunteered to test the vaccines because she wanted to contribute to the solution to COVID. She now has a feeding tube, is permanently in a wheelchair. and the reaction of Pfizer was to unblind very quickly and basically she was uh, she was written down in the report as if she had had stomach upset. This is a person who is now on a feeding tube, right? This is a person who is permanently injured in a you know a group of about 1200 kids that's not an insignificant number you know in 1200 kids even a very high rate of very serious reactions could have been missed but in this case there actually is a person she has a name and she has a life ahead of her and you know Pfizer is effectively pretending that she doesn't exist or is faking or something like that and it's preposterous and the fact is parents have a right to know this and they have a right to say no to these things
1: yeah and i feel like that's um That should be the easy argument to be having. And of course, we're not being allowed to have it. Um, But maybe what got me thinking specifically about children and the way that we are, frankly, destroying children's futures right now was not even about the vaccines. I'm I'm showing you data um, that was prepared in service of getting the EUA for vaccines in five to 11 year olds. But um, But I got thinking about it because of how schools look, and I guess schools don't look this way all over the place, but certainly where we are and where a number of places are, there's still uh, mandatory masking in schools and and other measures in place. And um, actually, let me just show this one last screen here, Zach. This is again from the FDA document. This is page 14 of this FDA document which just shows the data from the previous page uh, in a different graphical form, underlying conditions as risk factors in hospitalized children 5 to 11 years, again March 2020 through August 2021, in which um, obesity and chronic metabolic disease um, show very, and, you know, and, and things like feeding tube dependence again, um, show up as strong risk factors for bad outcomes from COVID. And, you know, I wonder if Wired or the LA times would say that the FDA is fat shaming here. <laughs> this, I mean, this is th- 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 these are data from the very organizations that refuse to actually advise people that they need to take control of their own health and do have a single solution for everyone that actually should not be the single solution for people. And even their data show that obesity is a major risk factor for children. Um, you know. And again, across domains, it's not just COVID. It's not like, oh, well, for COVID, sure, being fat may, may be a problem for you. Uh, but no, across domains. And again, because developmentally, you set so many things in motion that you then may not be able to change later on, um, the healthier you are as a child, the more likely you are to be able to maintain and, if you lose it, sometimes regain your health as an adult. So uh, we wanted to actually show... Um, yeah, you know, we we I've just been thinking about even even now, you know, we're still we're in Oregon with the indoor mask mandates still and uh I'm not you know, I don't I don't like consumption as an activity, but uh I do go into the stores sometimes and uh and enjoy enjoy touching, which we couldn't do for a long time, including produce but um in a retail store you've been
0: fondling the produce well
1: uh, always before right um but you know ceramics in particular as as a ceramicist in a in a past life i i want to feel the heft of it i want to feel how it Hand, how it feels in my hand. I want to turn it over and look at how it's been trimmed and, you know, what the signature looks like and all of this and, um, and, and look at the glaze inside and out. And, um, and I also want to smell things. There are a number of things that you can buy that you, they're actually about smelling them and you can't smell through masks very well. You
0: are going to love meta. It is very much like, sorry, that was a terrible, terrible joke. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm really not, um, going to love meta. Um, but you know, if that's, if that's my experience and I'm a, a middle-aged woman, who has long since come to understand my embodied nature in the world, children are just coming to recognize, coming into a knowledge of who they are as embodied beings, as, as intellectual beings, as mental beings, as psychological beings. And they are learning how to use their eyes and their noses and their fingers and to make eye contact with one another, which, okay, fine, you can still do that with a mask. How to smile at one another, how to give... Uh, indications of mood, of agreement, of tolerance, of disagreement, of intolerance, with facial expressions, uh, with with hugs, with refusals to hug, with turning away, with all of these things. That frankly, uh, mask mandates and uh, keeping children from getting close to one another is is going to have such remarkable downstream effects, and it's probably not going to be traceable to to those things. But we are even more than we were doing before with our helicopter and snowplow parenting and the pharmaceutical drugs that were being handed to kids in the form of speed and anti-anxiety meds and SSRIs and the screens and, you know, having destroyed the economy such that they would have a hard time ever imagining a future in which they could own a house. All of that has been terrible. And we've written and spoken about that extensively. But this thing that we're doing now to kids in the schools, it's worse. And it's going to be very hard to undo. And I wanted to just show this video of Jen Psaki, our um, our press secretary, responding to a question um, about this from a reporter. So Zach, that is the video that we sent to you, if you could, okay, all right.
0: One more question on schools. Uh... Obviously, the White House wants schools to be open. they been encouraging schools to open. Yeah. Many schools are fully open. But inside schools, there are often, uh, you know, very strict rules. Uh, for example, sometimes students are required to eat outside or eat distance from each other, not talk to each other while they're eating. Does the White House want to see those rules lifted as well to get back to a more normal
1: school experience?
2: Well, schools are taking steps, especially since we've only recently approved uh, through the CDC and FDA vaccines for 5- to 11-year-olds. They're not approved for kids younger than that to keep their kids safe and keep students safe. I will tell you, I have a three-year-old who goes to school, sits outside for snacks and lunch, wears a mask inside, and it's no big deal to him. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but these are steps that schools are taking to keep kids safe. And I think the vast majority of parents appreciate that. Obviously, we want to get to a point where we're turning to a version of normalcy for everybody, right? Uh, where you're not sending your kids' backpack with with seven extra masks, right? Where you're not adding two hats so that they're warm outside for a snack. There's no question that's the case. But we also think the most important thing should be safety, the safety of kids, keeping kids in school, which the president is very focused on. And some of these steps, creative steps that schools have taken have enabled that to be possible. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, that's uh, incredible to me. There's so many... Things in her statement um that reveal the degree to which this is a charade, I mean, for one thing, she specifically says in there that this is you know this is well yes, all of these things are important, but it's about um keeping kids safe. that's got to be our top priority, and the more you think about that claim, the emptier it is, yeah, I mean in fact, given everything we know, and you know as you mentioned uh, some minutes ago. The one caveat here, the one asterisk, is that we can't say with certainty that kids who have a very, very mild case of COVID, which is what kids who are healthy are likely to have if they get COVID at all, Mm -hmm. that those kids won't have some sort of negative health consequence later in life as a result of them having had COVID. Seems pretty unlikely. It does. But possible. But nonetheless... Asymptomatic
1: cases in adults don't seem to lead to long COVID, for instance. Therefore cases in kids tending to be asymptomatic are less likely to seem in keeping unlikely to lead to long COVID. But it's not impossible that it would manifest in a different way. Not impossible. We have to
0: leave the door open to that possibility. But we can basically say the presumption ought to be no, that they have mild cases, they get better, they seem to end up with durable immunity from it. And therefore, even the idea that this is about keeping kids safe is preposterous. And, you know, think about it this way. What we make, the argument we make in our book yeah. is that um, the purpose of childhood is to create durable, high-capacity adults mm-hmm. who are dynamic and capable of navigating risk and all of these things. We're talking about the immune system of such a creature, Right? It's in school, and you are keeping it safe from a disease today that if it got the disease, it would be safe for the rest of its life in all likelihood. And instead of allowing it to become safe for the rest of its life at very low risk of any health consequence, mm-hmm. you are going to stave off six months at a time, you're going to stave off this disease uh, and uh, so that later on in life, when they are more vulnerable, that they are going to have an encounter with it.
1: Risking taking out the young person's immune system, with or at least with regard to this disease entirely.
0: Right. That makes no sense. And the mask thing is just so unimaginative with respect to, I mean, just the very fact, as we talked about, I think, last week, the highly unusual fact of human facial musculature having... Uh, gotten all of this control specifically for the purpose of exchanging information about state of mind and uh, and the point is you're going to interrupt that and you're going to say well we don't think it's serious enough that COVID is more serious and that we're not going to worry about the fact that we're taking years of these kids lives and we're going to block off this much of their face
1: and there you know we were objecting early on to the, frankly, largely coming from the right statements that, ah, oh, it's just the flu. It's, the, it's, you know, it's less bad than the flu. Well, in children, it appears to be less bad than the flu. Yeah, Always has been, oh, by a lot. And keeping kids safe. Okay, so we're going to pick one thing, one thing which makes kids unsafe, one thing, and maximize that like it's it's like these people have never heard of trade-offs or diminishing returns curves or you know anything mature and wise about how it is that you navigate a world in which actually it's not just one variable there's not just one variable if covid was literally the only risk to anyone and there were no costs to these mitigation measures then maybe it's not the only risk and there are known costs and you've got to know that there are a lot of unknown costs too. And we are doing incredible damage. And, you know, also one of the other things that she says in there is, you know, a, her three-year-old is in school, which is a bizarre claim, but <clears throat> okay. But, uh, a three-year-old's in school, wears a mask, snacks outside, whatever. Um, he doesn't, I think what she says is he doesn't mind. Yeah. Like, And this is consistent with the trans activists also, the trans rights activists, the TRAs. They would have us believe that everything that a child conveys, be it actually stated in the case of trans rights activists or um, not stated in the case of my kid doesn't mind, is the truth about that child. And what they currently believe to be true is somehow magically turning into reality as well. Now we don't believe it when the kid claims he's a dinosaur, um, but when he claims he's a girl, we do believe it. And when a kid tries to be a big boy and doesn't complain to his mom, who's the damn press secretary, that actually he'd like to be able to hug his friends, and maybe he doesn't even know—he probably doesn't know what he's missing. Right? If he's three, and he's—he's th- he's three. He doesn't know about seeing people's faces on. Un- you know, without these things, I've had, I had three different interactions with children this week, children I don't know, um, in stores, little children who were not masked, thankfully, sometimes even the babies are masked, but these little children weren't masked in, in Oregon, everyone else is masked in stores. Um, but I was able to play these sorts of like peekaboo games with these kids. And in their cases, the moms, um, were fine with it. Sometimes they had freaked out if a stranger wants to play such a game with their with their kid these kids were so ecstatic they seemed more ecstatic than usual to just have some interaction in which there was pleasure on the part of another ape on the other side of the interaction and i so wanted to just take off my mask and let them see my face but i didn't and i thought again what are we doing how will we ever end up knowing what all we have brought with with all of this and frankly who will be held accountable
0: yeah uh actually a mutual friend of ours contacted me for advice this week um and the question was literally should i move i am concerned right. about yes masks on my very young children and the developmental effects. This is somebody who's actually considering upending, moving away from their family, moving to some state yeah. where this is... A uh, place
1: that I think the family has lived... It's, he's not a first-generation person there. Right. right. This, this, is, is some, yeah. this is
0: a place where somebody has roots. And the idea yeah. is those roots are up against the normal developmental inputs that will allow a person to become a full human being. Right. And, you know, it was very difficult to say well the masks suck but you know it's not that bad because maybe it is
1: maybe it is that bad yeah maybe it is that bad and that actually isn't um let me read a little bit from this excellent piece that came out this week you may show my screen zach this is from um an outlet called front porch republic which i did not know uh, before and the piece is by someone named teddy macker called facts two faces on the masking of children at school um, so i'm just going to read from my pdf of it um Please know that were you to say to me, but Teddy, you're callous and out of touch for carrying on like this, my father died of COVID, I would bow and fall silent. But I also bow and fall silent when I see the boy walking through the park before school with his mask on. This child, like so many other children, is haunted by a fear that's most likely a phantom. As you may know, of the 74 million people in our country under 18, about 500 have died of COVID. Of those 500, it seems some, many, had underlying health conditions. And if you glazed over reading those last two sentences, we are all so numbers-hungry and yet numbers-numb, please consider reading them again. In the interest of seeing life steadily and seeing life whole, these numbers should be known. So wouldn't it be more sensible for that boy to fear riding in the car on the freeway with his texting-prone sitter? Or visiting the pool with friends? Indeed, it's easy to think, like many do, that the masking of children is a symptom of a large, unwieldy, and blind momentum portending a host of dystopian changes, and that we've collectively gone nuts. I'm skipping a section here. And it's easy to think that we adults have welched on a primary charge to teach the children that the world, even with the fret and strife that accompany being human, is good, beautiful, and worthy of our trust. Social thinker and educational philosopher Rudolf Steiner wrote, quote, From the first to the seventh year, gesture predominates in the life of the young child, but gesture in the widest sense of the word, gesture that in the child lives in imitation. What kind of gesture, one can only wonder, do they imitate now? One more section. One wants to shout, what about the crappy pesticide-laced food so many kids eat? What about the plague that is their physical inactivity? What about the gadgets driving us, kids and adults alike, to suicidal soul-ruinous despair? What about the public health epidemic that is the internet? Who isn't dying by inches because of the internet? What about the other challenges we face that have been nudged aside and forgotten and are actually graver than COVID-19? And what about the challenge underlying all these challenges, a crisis of meaning, of spirit, of a sacred hoop to borrow from Black Elk that is broken and scattered? This is an extraordinary piece, and I recommend everyone reading all of it, but he's exactly right. We have replaced all of our concerns with a single one, and we are being told to hate the people who are on a different side of a single line as opposed to recognizing that we likely agree completely with nobody else on the planet, and we likely disagree completely with nobody else on the planet. And that those of us who see what is happening to children and to and to democracy right now, sometimes we feel like we're yelling into a void. But we also know, you and I know, and we hear from other people who are speaking publicly, that the amount of voices that we hear in return saying, thank you, keep it up, what do I do, how do we get out of this, we don't have all of the answers by a lot, but you have to know that you're not alone, that there are a lot of us out here.
0: Yeah, I've noticed, uh, I'm sure you have too, a theme has begun to emerge in the many pieces of correspondence that we get. And it's interesting, it's not the first time this has happened to us where a theme from, you know, dozens, hundreds of people who aren't in contact with each other emerges presumably because it's uh separately evolving and bubbling up in all of these different quadrants but the theme is thank you you are keeping me sane and i increasingly i mean a i know as you know exactly what they're talking about because it is like um I am struggling for an analogy that is not antlions and what happens to an ant that has gone over the edge of an antlion.
1: You, you may have to describe antlions.
0: Uh, ant lions are the larva of an insect that uh, sits at the bottom of a hole that it has excavated. And the sides of the hole are steep. And if you step over the edge, you slide further and further in. The more you struggle to get out, the more you kick the sand loose and fall into the mouth of the antlion.
1: You being an ant, not a person. Ant right. lions do not come in a size such that a person could fall into an ant lion funnel trap and, and die.
0: As far as we know.
1: I never have seen it happen nor described it, but of course the people who would have been able to describe it are presumably gone into the maw of an right. antlion.
0: Right, you the ant find yourself struggling and making reverse progress. But um, in any case, yes.
1: What was the antlion analogy? The
0: antlion analogy is the struggle to remain sane as effectively a thousand different messages that induce you towards insane conclusions come at you from every angle. They start coming out of the mouths of your friends, right? And the point is staying sane at this moment is not a simple job, I do think you and I have been pointing out in yeah. uh, ways big and small that the key to it is finding other people you can trust and trusting them, right? That's mm-hmm. the thing. And so anyway, apparently a lot of people are getting uh, something necessary and vital from us just by simply hearing a conversation that it may be a lot of things, but at least it's not crazy. Um, so
1: yeah. And when, and when we're wrong, we say it. And when we disagree with one another, we say it. And um, that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah,
0: we're trying to make sense. And when yeah. one of us says something that isn't quite right, the other one pushes back and, you know, the walls don't collapse. And anyway, it's kind of what sanity sounds like, I guess. But um, in any case, um, that's, that's a really interesting and important theme to suddenly be bubbling up in people's minds. And I believe it is uh, an important indicator of something. Um, but I did want to say I- I'm struggling between two instincts on the mask thing. I increasingly think the mask thing is uh, diabolical, especially as we inflict it on children and pretend that it's going to be low cost and that the reason that we're doing it is about keeping them safe from something that would actually render them perfectly safe indefinitely if they got it. Um, But the other thing is... There's some, I I think I must have picked it up from fiction somewhere, but there's some sort of an obligation to respect a highly capable enemy, right? To note what the enemy has done right. And you can imagine being some kind of warrior on a battlefield and, you know, somebody out foxes you and you both suffer from it, but also can appreciate the elegance of what they've done. Mm -hmm. The mask thing is diabolical genius. It is absolutely diabolical genius because of two things one the symbolic nature of it right the fact that they have gotten us to remind each other of just how dangerous everybody is if you don't let your guard your literal guard down right Mm -hmm. or if you do let your literal guard down that is a beautiful metaphor right Everybody else, they're your enemy. They're a hazard to you, right? Mm-hmm. And the point is...
1: Unless you're sitting next to them in a cafe.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, as you bro- and I <laughs> have begun to joke about the COVID layer. The COVID layer exists up with the wait staff, sure. right? Because mm-hmm. they're standing and obviously the COVID is up there.
1: And it's but- also very useful to have them be othered.
0: Wonderful to have them be othered because of the class implication of it, right? You are being served there at the table, mask down, they are serving mask up it 's lovely the way it it separates us um,
1: everything for division
0: right, everything to divide us, but then the the most amazing part of it to me is. At the point that you begin to realize that this mask thing, that the evidence that the mask thing actually works by putting, you know, putting them on healthy people, that that protects anybody, it does not, right? Mm -hmm. What's more, mask versus not mask is not the category. Most masks are garbage, right? This is something I got wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. Most masks are garbage. For masks to stand any chance of doing any good. You have to get a really good one and you have to know how to use it. And that's not what we're being mandated to do, right? This is a symbolic gesture that has got us constantly in the mindset of COVID. And it is exactly the same goddamn thing as at the beginning of this, when they shut down the beaches and the trails and you and I were saying, hey, wait a minute. Outside is where you want people to go. They are safest out there. It's mentally good for them. They can interact with each other normally and not be in such terrifying fear all the time.
1: No, they should sit inside, eat Doritos, play on social media, and wait for the vaccine.
0: That's effectively what was being said. And so the thing is, the masks um, are the way of getting the constant reminder out there where it doesn't belong, right? And... It is amazing, and the point is as soon as you realize this and you say, you know what, the masks really are, That that's the way the enemy has intruded into every interaction that we are going to have and we are obligated to stand up against it, but now you're in a bind,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? If you don't wear your mask while others are wearing the mask, you are one of two things. You are either enlightened about the fact that the masks don't work and in rebellion, mm-hmm. but much more likely, You're just not somebody who cares very much about other people, right? You're not even willing to put on a mask to protect other people from a disease, right? And so the point is that's that that's mm-hmm. the trap here, yeah. is that we can't rebel. Even those of us who are enlightened and understand the problem. And frankly, even me who was ahead of this more than almost anybody, and championing masks as a an obvious remedy at the beginning before we knew that they didn't work, yeah. right? Even I am in this bind where I can't stand up and say, you know what? I'm not wearing the mask anymore, and it's not about the rest of you. It's about the people who are using this mask mandate to to separate the rest of us, right? I can't make that point because just simply not wearing a mask broadcasts the message that I'm inconsiderate of others' health, which is not what motivates me at all.
1: And yet part of what is being demonstrated is that even even we will comply with some things.
0: Right. So increasingly, I think what we need is a mechanism whereby if we have to put on a mask, we can indicate that we are not putting it on out of belief, that we are not going to stigmatize anyone who decides that they should not wear a mask because we know the truth of the thing, so that we are not in the position of being induced to broadcast a false message of indifference to our fellow man in order to rebel against some governmental authority that is abusing its power. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know exactly how we get there, but we need to, we need to do it. And we need to do it right away because, because this mask thing is such genius, right? They're getting us. It's like they've gotten all of us to wear their logo broadcasting their brand everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? And to put our own spin on it and it's enough, right? This is, this is evil.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe it's time to talk about what you termed ethical offense. I think we yeah, just well, were. I think we just were talking yeah. about ethical offense. Like so Maybe we've done that.
0: Well, I want to add one thing to it. Yeah. Um, because of the strange life that we have been thrown into after uh, leaving our positions as college professors, we are reasonably, we are pretty well insulated compared to most people to various kinds of mandates, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, We run our own business out of our own home. We don't interact with as many systems that are capable of inflicting penalties on us. But we've, in fact, run into penalties twice this week. And I'm not going to talk about the particular details of the organizations in question. Um, But twice we have encountered uh, discrimination based on uh, an unwillingness to receive these vaccines and no alternative is offered, right? It is not that they are saying um, you can't participate unless you provide evidence that you don't have COVID with a recent test, which frankly, I think, is probably unnecessary given where we are with COVID, but I'd be willing to do that, right? You know, Because we are not indifferent to other people's health and because COVID is a serious
1: disease. I wish I thought it was a, a, a truthful and accurate indicator um, but given that i don't believe that of the vaccines anyway if you know if we're in that landscape at least at least having that be an option uh, right is, would would be would be a way to allow all human beings to participate in whatever it is that we're trying to participate in.
0: Not even just allow. Mm -hmm. My suspicion, based on everything you and I have uncovered and looked into, is that a person who has a negative test, especially in fact in light of the fact that the tests seem to be biased in the direction of uh, diagnosing COVID where it might not be.
1: They they tend more towards false positives. Right. That's what you're saying? Yes.
0: My suspicion is that a person who has a recent negative test is safer to be around from the point of view of the likelihood of catching COVID from them than somebody who's been vaccinated a month or two ago Mm -hmm. who could very well have COVID and you wouldn't know. Um, So the point is, if you're really trying to protect your event from COVID, and I understand, certainly, even if you didn't believe in these vaccines as being safe and effective, Mm -hmm. um, I could certainly imagine being in the position of hosting an event and imagining that somebody's going to come through the door. And, you know, there might be an event where people get COVID at your, you know, at the thing that you're hosting. And, you know, obviously there are consequences. There could be legal consequences, why weren't you vigilant about blah, 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 sure. you know, and there could be
2: uh, you know,
0: damage to your organization's reputation. So I'm sympathetic, and that's why I'm willing at my own expense to get tested to participate. But what I'm not willing to do is pretend that it is acceptable for us to be othering each other over um, these remedies. These remedies are not high quality and they're dangerous, and there is no nuance whatsoever being offered with them. so the idea you know that an organization would say, "Well, you're not vaccinated; you can't participate when they didn't even ask us if we'd had covid mm-hmm. right so if we had had covid and hadn't had a vaccine, we would be the safest people to be around at least as far as delta goes um, so the fact that they didn't ask means that this isn't really about health in the first place or it's so unnuanced as to be absurd and so enough. We cannot continue othering each other. And that means, effectively, note that you are being used by something that hasn't even figured out, if it is interested in health at all, it hasn't even figured out how to age stratify or how to separate out those who are immune from a natural source versus a vaccine source. It hasn't Mm -hmm. done any of this work right and it has you othering other people that's an immoral entity and so the point is we have to start turning the heat up on those who would do the bidding of of this thing
1: yes yes and i actually saw um we also saw an example online this this wasn't this didn't directly affect us um, but there are some cities uh, now that actually have vaccine mandates for indoor dining seattle is one of them Uh, we were looking uh, to eat at a place not in seattle where there are not mandates handed down from the authorities, but where some cities or some institutions like restaurants do have um, vaccine mandates. Most of them also say negative tests within some number of hours at the door. Um, but most, most do not. And I was looking at a restaurant that looked really fabulous and that had all these great reviews, except, um, except somehow the overall review uh, average was very low and it was about the three most recent reviews who were all from it turns out members of the same party had gone to the, to the same to the same meal and at first i thought oh you know restaurant was having an off night or something well it turns out upon reading these reviews um, <clears throat> that the major objection that the people in this party had was that they went out for some you know big event there were many of them that went out to this meal and that this restaurant did not require proof of vaccination And that on that basis, these three individuals who had what sounds like a very good meal um, were effectively trying to engaging in the very same tactics as cancel culture. They they had the ability, given that this is uh, a restaurant that has not been in existence for a lot of time, and so didn't have <clears throat> so many reviews that the three most recent ones being terrible didn't affect the overall rankings. Um, they had a chance, and especially in an era of you know restaurants struggling to survive and it not being clear you know how what they're going to be required to do by the city or the state or whatever, um, it was particularly appalling that people would go after a restaurant this way for failing to put up a, a should be their choice vaccine mandate for entry into their restaurant. When again, COVID is not the only risk to you out there guys. And for almost everyone, it is not the major risk to you by a long shot. And in, and again, I'm not going to use the specifics here, but the restaurant owner or, um, or his agent, um, responded to the lengthiest of these galling reviews and said, we're very sorry about these other experiences uh, that you had, but with regard to vaccine mandates, uh, this is our choice. We choose not to require evidence of vaccination against COVID at the door. Um, I was about to say, he did not say, like, <laughs> nor do we require evidence of vaccination against rabies at the door, right? Um, and, you know, most people are never going to run into rabies. You and I are vaccinated against rabies because we once lived a life in which we were being exposed potentially to rabies with some regularity. And, and that vaccine was time tested and understood to be effective as well. So the owner stood up for himself. And uh, as far as I can tell from the website, they're doing a brisk business still and actually and actually doing it despite despite the techniques of frankly, the the woke ideologues, the the re- the religious like people who would have us believe that all white people are racists and um, you can be a man if you say you're a man or a woman if you say you're a woman, and um, that all sexual assault is equivalent, and all of the other garbage that's coming out of sort of social justice ideology. Um, those tactics, cancel culture tactics, are now here. Over in, um, we found the next enemy, and uh, it's it's you. It's you're dirty, you're mean, you're disrespectful, you're heinous, you're evil. If you're unvaccinated, you, me, you. If 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 you are unvaccinated, you're the enemy, and therefore, all rules are off the table. I can do whatever I want in order to get you canceled. And in this case, a restaurant that simply doesn't mandate that you as an unvaccinated person are excluded.
0: Yeah. It uh, effectively treats being unvaccinated with these vaccines as synonymous with being diseased and contagious. Yes. And that is preposterous. If these vaccines worked, that would be preposterous. But these vaccines do not. And Gibraltar, for example, tells you that their fantasy world in which everybody gets vaccinated and COVID goes away does not exist. Right? So they don't have the right to do this to us. And so the question is if I was running a business, frankly, we see signs on doors that say, you know, masks required and all. I'm increasingly annoyed by those signs. I don't know the extent to which those signs are mandated versus voluntary.
1: In in Oregon, it's mandated by our governor.
0: Right now, the question then is: Can somebody who is enlightened, who understands the reality of masks, that this is not an N95 mask mandate, nor is this a you know mask mandate that uh, correctly parses the difference between putting a mask on a sick person and putting a mask on a person who shows no signs of being sick versus the absurdity of putting a mask on somebody who's had COVID and recovered and therefore is really unlikely to transmit the disease, maybe at the level of zero likelihood, right? right? So what the question is maybe, you know, if I ran a business and I had to put that sign in my door, Mm -hmm. what else would I put on my door to indicate that I was actually aware of the absurdity of this and that the real purpose was, you know, it's some variation on uh, the don't hurt me wall, yes, right? you know the 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 wall of signs that say black lives matter was not about somebody emphasizing by repeating it that black lives matter it was about somebody broadcasting something yes. about their own you know compliance
2: mm-hmm.
0: and this is likewise not so dissimilar from the videos that we saw of people being harassed while dining, right? You know, put up your fist and say Black Lives Matter or we'll harass you on video and broadcast it to the internet, right? right? The question is, oh, you know, can you dine here? Well, are you vaccinated? You know, are you willing to say that Black Lives Matter on video? Mm -hmm. It's all the same thing. What what
1: will they put up with? What will everyone put up with? How, to what degree will what percentage of the population put up with this? How about this? How about this? Now we know. right? What then happens? And it,
0: it, it is effectively like, well, we, the agents of the narrative, have the right to demand that you indicate that you are compliant with the narrative. And at the point you indicate you aren't compliant with the narrative, then we have the right to stigmatize you, mm-hmm. right? And that is now happening. It's not exactly like it went down with woke and BLM, but it's not so different either. It's clearly yeah. a variation on the same playbook. Yep. And, you know, this fits very well with what we've been saying about, you know, there's woke, original flavor woke, and then there's medical woke, mm-hmm. right? And the point is these have nothing to do with science or a detailed analysis that reveals a pattern, that these are narrative assertions that then cause citizens To step in and do what government cannot, right? Citizens are being used against each other. And it is very much, you know, is it exactly brown shirts? No. But the problem is, you know, why are we in that quadrant of the library? Why are we searching for analogies in that quadrant of the library? That should be telling you something, right? That should be telling you something. And so the point is, you know what? It's not brown shirts, but it's not so different either, right? Mm -hmm. It's not Tuskegee. But it's not so different either, right? There are genuine, real analogies to be drawn here. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that, the, you know, Zach, will you put up the uh, image I sent you? Uh, I only got one. The water fountain? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is effectively what they're oh. doing to us, mm-hmm. right? This iconic image of separate drinking fountains right we are being told that the world has to break down this way and frankly i don't know this is obviously way before our time i don't know what the official rational rationalization was for separate drinking fountains i it certainly has an epidemiological implication right which is of course obviously stupid and absurd it's not like people within a race don't give each other diseases right? So this was obviously a phony implication. These drinking fountains needed to be separated, and it's not so different.
1: Well, and it, yeah. I mean, I think the rhetoric like now was around um, dirtiness and lesser status and lesser worth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is. And, you know, enough. So what I hope, you know, they uh, obviously our core audience is not, uh, new to the idea that something wrong is afoot and that the narrative is taking liberties it has no right to take and it isn't based in science. But for those who are maybe encountering us early or beginning to wake up to the idea that they've been dragged into something that isn't what they were told, please think about the degree to which you are being used to do the bidding of a government that can't do this itself. It needs your help to stigmatize other citizens. And the first thing to do is to stop complying all right yeah end of rant
1: no that's i think i think we need more of that uh this week our friend mike nana uh, which is a name that will be familiar to many of you uh, he is a documentary filmmaker uh he made among other things the um he 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 documented the grievance studies affair with Peter Bagosian, and Helen Bluckrose and James Lindsay, and he also produced, directed, created all of it—the uh, three-part, one and a half hour total Evergreen documentary, uh, which uh, he sort of came to know uh, as 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 we met him back when we did a. Actually, I guess we met him when we did a an event. We met him and Peter Boghossian and Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay and James Damore all at the same event uh, where uh, four of us were on stage and you introduced us and all of this at uh, Portland State University back in spring of 2018, something like that.
0: So I just want to add, what I yeah. believe happened was he was going to use Evergreen as an example in his documentary on uh, the um, the Sokol Squared hoax, the Grieven Studies, the Grievance Studies affair. Yeah. And, as we told him would happen, if you dig into the evergreen story a little bit, you're going to fall into this incredible rabbit hole of of absurdity, mm-hmm. and that's in fact what happened, and so he did a separate little. Documentary on but Evergreen. Not which, that little. Yeah, it's not that little three part. To- if you haven't seen it, it's totally worth it. You'll understand things about, about this. And, you know, it's also a good time capsule because it was several years back. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he also uh, participated extensively with Benjamin Boyce in putting that together. A lot of the footage you know, are things that Benjamin Boyce collected, cataloged, um, and, uh, you know, pried loose from Evergreen in Benjamin's. <laughs> the swear requests
1: that just wouldn't stop.
0: <laughs> right. And so Benjamin has done an incredible job of getting all of the material that explains that event into the world. So anyway, check out Benjamin Boyce and Mike Nana on YouTube. Uh, There's a whole world of fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. So Mike uh, has become a friend. Uh, We haven't seen, well, anything of him in the last two years, of course, but we haven't seen much of him. Um, But he saw our clip uh, on what we understood to be happening in Australia, and he wrote, He wrote to us at some length and we had a little back and forth and I'm going to post his entire letter to us on my Substack next Tuesday. That's going to be my Tuesday post. But, um, and you know, I asked him, you know, what degree he wanted to be anonymized and he said, you don't need to anonymize me at all. I think this is important to have in the world, but you know, he says, "These, these are just some things I've seen. You know, these are just some things that I've jotted down about what I've experienced being in Australia because he's Australian, uh, since, since this all began. So he says, Heather's analogy to the reporters covering the Portland riots in late 2020 is close to how I see it too. While gathering personal stories and perspectives on the ground, it becomes clear that experiences differ from state to state, from suburb to suburb, and even house to house. There's something absurd in trying to describe it at all in monolithic terms. Australians are dot dot dot. Some things that have stuck with me, though, he says, include, I saw a man in a canoe stopped by a police boat. I was, I was pulled over by two policemen on motorbikes, sirens and all, for having my nose sticking out of the top of my mask. It was a sunny day and I was alone for at least 300 meters in all directions. They were not polite. It was illegal for me to see my family for the better part of a year, even outdoors, because they lived outside of a permitted zone. My sister was home alone with two boys, aged four and six, for around eight months while her husband was stuck in Africa. We had to obtain a doctor's letter to visit her. When I'd arrived, she'd burst out of the house as if she were escaping something. A friend went for a run and was stopped by police. They checked her ID and asked what she was doing. She said she was exercising. Two hours later, she got home, and they were waiting to fine her for exceeding the time limit for permitted exercise. He's got a lot more, again, which I'll post on Natural Selections on Tuesday. Yesterday, Mike sent another note as follows. One more thing you might find interesting and to keep you up to date is that it's summer now and the East Coast of Australia is at long last moving from a zero COVID paradigm into a mitigation model. My sense from talking to family and looking at their Instagram feeds is that lives are looking a little more normal and memories of the police state are beginning to fade. I'm sure many, like myself, saw something they don't want to forget so quickly and are unsettled by the state's capacity to flick the switch like they did. Terrifying. So terrifying. And as we said in the original clip, which he was referring to, um, which he was responding to, it does feel like there will be people who will say, I'm in Australia, and that's not true. And what they mean is, I'm in Australia, and I didn't see any of those things. And that's quite sure, possible. Of course. Um, presume- in some of these cases, only Mike and, say, those police officers are the ones who saw it, Right. Um, but the idea that you will generalize uh, a, a perfect you know, pseudo-utopian democratic state from not having directly experienced things yourself, especially if you have uh, the kinds of privilege that many of the voices out of Australia who are claiming that nothing is amiss there have, is rather the opposite assumption that you should have. These examples, in this case from a trusted friend, we know he is not making any of these up do provide evidence that something has been very much amiss. They do not speak to uh, overall pattern. We don't know how many incidents there were like any of those. But one person alone, a person with a trained eye who who is experienced in documenting things, saw a number of things across a number of domains that were very much amiss and did not remind him of the country. Uh, that he calls home.
0: Yeah, we, I think the thing we really can't infer is how patchy it is. But and the he fact says that, that right differs
1: from suburb to suburb, house to house. But, uh, but the fact
0: that one person observed all of these things says something really dramatic. And I, I would point out, I've been I've been thinking an awful lot about Julian Assange uh, in light of his uh, losing his motion to stave off extradition. Yeah. And it increasingly is clear to me that. You know, I mean, I was vocal at the beginning of the Assange affair, and Mm -hmm. I don't think I was vocal enough because I think the point is it was very hard to make the case that this is the step onto the slippery slope that leads somewhere you will find impossible to believe, right? We are now somewhere that many of us find impossible to believe. And the point is Julian Assange was the canary in the coal mine and the absurd treatment that he faced and the false portrayal that has been so relentless um, was a clear indication that something wanted rights to do this to a journalist that embarrassed it, right? Mm -hmm. This journalist did journalism and uh, the the rights that a, a person normally has. Now, he's not an American citizen, so in some technical sense, he lacks certain rights that he might otherwise have, but nonetheless, something clearly wanted to uh turn him into a political prisoner torture him publicly so that we could all watch him come apart Shame so him. that others wouldn't yeah. uh wouldn't uh, dare to do the same sort of thing and we now have some indication of why and no doubt the thing didn't know about uh covid and in what context it would abuse all of our rights but it did know that it wanted the right to abuse all of us and abusing all of us is a lot easier with Julian Assange you know in a cell somewhere And so anyway, this is a lesson of history that I think we need to remind ourselves of that you have to you have to protest these things when they show up at first, because by the time it becomes clear just how important and broad broad the uh, the threat is, it's too late. You know, you're behind the eight ball at that point.
1: That's right. Um, And it's even more important to protest the things that are being done to children because what gets laid down in childhood becomes very difficult if not impossible to change so we risk destroying an entire generation
0: we do and uh the reasons that you know the the willingness the indifference to the well-being of children that this obviously illustrates is spectacular and then there's a question about why why they yeah. would do this right um, and uh, anyway, it's something we should revisit.
1: All right. Well, on that decidedly uh, downbeat note, I think we're there. All right. I think we've arrived. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to take a 15-minute break uh, and then be back with our live Q&A. You can ask your questions at com. And... Um, We will have our our monthly private Q&A on my Patreon tomorrow at 11 a.m. Consider joining us there. That will be our last regularly scheduled uh, live stream until the Saturday in the first, the second Saturday in 2022 believe it or not um like i said at the beginning of the hour we are likely to do another live stream sometime between christmas and new year's we're not sure exactly when and we've got brett's got three more already recorded dark horse podcasts uh in the can ready to deploy uh sometime uh, each of all of those i think will be will be released sometime between now and january 8th i guess it will be um Again, consider reading A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Not yet available in Lithuanian or French or Russian, but it will be soon. And uh, so you're restricted to English at this point, but it is available. Uh, we're proud of it. And we've been uh, hearing from quite a lot of people who have taken a lot of, of good from it. We're continuing to do uh, occasional podcasts um, on on other people's podcasts about the book. And it's um, it continues to be a source of joy, actually. So... Anything else to say before we sign off?
0: Um, Consider innovating something and putting hashtag stand up with stand and up capitalized. Innovating something, some sort of resistance that will let people know just how many of us there are who are not putting up with it any longer.
1: Indeed. And do what you can for yourself, including be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside.
0: Be well, everyone.